Chronicles from Titus this week. So I want to read for you uh, chapter 3. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, and hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that, having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so in that spirit is the... Um, as the word of God instructs and guides our worship. Let's, um, let's sing the truths and these realities and to give you the glory and just to, to bask in your goodness and to remind one another of these truths and these, um, these glorious realities uh, that you called us into by grace. And so, Lord, that in spite of the fact that we are in a world that's surrounded by so much potential and so much realized evil and wickedness and harm, um, Lord, that you uh, you wrap us with your protection, and Lord, that you you guide us, and even in times of of hurt and of pain and of sorrow, that you, that you walk with us through those seasons. And so, God, we thank you for that, and we um, we submit ourselves, Lord, to the Holy Spirit. We just pray for your goodness, and until the day that the Lord comes, and so that's what we're um, what we're looking forward to is that hope of eternal life that we have to look uh, look beyond and look ahead to. Lord, this morning as we prepare ourselves to open our Bibles and to feast on your word, we pray, um, Holy Spirit, for your intervention, that you would intervene through your word, that you would anoint this time, Lord, that you would put your words in, in Brock's mouth and uh, just give him words to speak and uh, give us hearts that are willing and ready and supple and able to listen and to hear and to receive and to bear fruit. Let's pray this in Jesus. Well, good morning. Well, for those of, you, those of you that don't know me, my name is Brock Ashley, and very happy to be here with you this morning. So in the spirit of uh, October baseball, much like a relief pitcher, I'm called up out of the bullpen right now to talk to you this morning. But I want to encourage you that unlike the Cubs relief pitching, which basically blew their entire series, I am going to not blow Mike's entire series by going into Proverbs this morning. I'm instead going to divert to the third chapter of the book of Acts. So if you would, uh, work your way towards Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. And as we make our way that direction, since we haven't spent any time here, uh, let me just give you a little bit of background information on what's taken place up to this point in the second chapter of the book of Acts. So, in the second chapter, this is really where we see the beginnings and the genesis, the origination of the new church, the church as we know it. And in chapter 2, uh, this is also the first place where we see the Holy Spirit actually being poured out upon the uh, members of this gathering church body, which essentially consisted of about 120 believers that were gathered together in the upper room praying uh, that God would deliver his Holy Spirit down upon them. And we see quickly after the day of Pentecost that the church grows from this 120 member congregation to well into the thousands and they begin to be recognized and a target, if you will, begins to be placed upon them. 
And if you, uh, if any of you here speak Greek, anybody here speak Greek? Okay, so you're going to have to take my word for this. But if you happen to speak Greek, you would know that uh, the word, when it says the Holy Spirit came upon them, which is used in Acts 2-3, is actually the Greek preposition epi. And that literally means that the Spirit was poured out on these individual members. You see, the Holy Spirit uh, maybe is a little bit confusing, so let me just uh, quickly run through the different ways that it's used throughout Scripture. But first of all, the first way that it's used is the Spirit walks alongside us. So prior to us accepting salvation, we actually have the Holy Spirit working with us, alongside us, and that's what convicts us of sin and attracts us towards finding an answer and a resolution to it. It also, then once we receive salvation, once we say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life, the Spirit then comes into us, and it resides with us and works in concert with our spirit, And the third way that the Spirit is used is it can come upon people. You can think about this like an anointing. And if you think about uh, some of the Old Testament examples where priests would have the anointing oil poured out over their head. So anytime you read in the Old Testament and you see oil, that's a biblical constant for us. Oil always represents the Spirit itself. So that act of pouring oil out over the top of the head of a priest or a king was actually showing the Spirit being pouring out upon, epi, upon the people that were receiving it. So you get this image of Aaron, you know, the priest, and having the oil poured out over his head, and the oil drips off his big, long beard. Maybe not the best picture I could have brought about. But anyway, you get the idea that, that the Spirit is actually poured out upon these people that were gathered. And this is really the thing that was needed to ignite the initial church. This is the thing that was needed to really get things up off the ground where we start to see miracles taking place and the the gifts of the Spirit really begin to to manifest themselves. So as we work our way to chapter 3, the time span between chapter 2, the last verse in verse 47, and the first verse of chapter 3 isn't exactly known for sure, but most Bible scholars, which are way smarter than me, and that's not that difficult, but they agree that uh, probably a time period of a couple months, maybe two to three months, takes place between this last verse of chapter 2 and the first verse of chapter 3. So that brings us to our story this morning. And let's begin with chapter 3, verse 1. And now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So here to begin, we see the two main characters of our story are Peter and John, and two very different uh, people when we look at them scripturally. You know, Peter, a very bold and, and boisterous character, and John, known as the Apostle of Love, two guys you wouldn't think would normally hang out a lot together, but through the power of the Spirit, you see that these guys actually get along well and their ministry works well together. And they're headed into the temple for the hour of prayer. Now, the Jews would observe three hours of prayer every day, consistently. Uh, they would call it their third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. And because their Jewish day started at 6 a.m., that means their prayer meeting times were 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. But Peter and John are making their way for the 3 o'clock prayer meeting. And I think it's interesting to note that they are actually going after the evening sacrifices took place. So the evening sacrifice at the temple typically took place around 2.30 in the afternoon. But they didn't bother to make it for that because they understood that there was no need to show up for the sacrificing portion of things. Oh, you see that? That's the Spirit coming upon me right now. All right, so they understood 
that there was no need to show up for this evening sacrifice because the perfect Lamb of God had already been sacrificed some several months before with Jesus Christ. So they skipped that portion, but they did make it to the meeting because it is the same Jehovah, the same God that they're going in to pray to. So let's pick back up in verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms, or to beg for money, from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked them for alms. So here's this lame man, and he's laid outside of the gate called Beautiful. Now this gate is also known as the Eastern Gate. And this gate has got some significance because, uh, for one, it is the most direct access that you'd have into the temple itself. So if you were going to make your way and you wanted to go right into the temple, there are city gates all the way around the city of Jerusalem. And let me just make a shameless plug for the Israel trip now. If anybody's considering going, you will get a chance to actually see the Eastern Gate. Very exciting. It won't be the Eastern Gate that Jesus walked through, because it's actually 8 or 10 feet below ground, but you'll see the uh, newly constructed Eastern Gate, which has been blocked in by the Muslims. So you get a very good opportunity here. There you go. So think about that trip. All right. But this is the most direct gate into the temple. And what's also important about this, and the reason that they laid the man in front of this gate is because directly behind that gate is the court of the women, which also held the temple treasury. So if you're a smart person and you want to make sure you're getting as much alms or as many things given to you, you're going to position yourself right in front of the gate where everybody's going in to give their offering. So people are going to be loaded down with the change, ready to go in, and he's hoping to catch some folks as they walk by him. The other reason that this is an interesting gate is this is also the spot that Jesus would have used to access the temple himself. So if you've joined us on Wednesday nights, you know that Jesus has been in our studies there going in and out of the temple uh, through this eastern gate. He's come down off the Mount of Olives, and this is the spot where he has entered. And if you haven't joined us on Wednesday nights, shame on you, because you don't know what I'm talking about right now. And you would have if you would have showed up on Wednesday nights. So anyway, no more shame. Sorry about that. But if you do want to come this Wednesday night, you want to completely redeem yourself, you've got two more Wednesday night services left, folks, in this year. So you've got a chance to hear Jeremy Kennedy speak this Wednesday. All right. But remember this Eastern Gate a little bit later on, because we will come back to this in just a few moments. All right, let's pick back up in our story in verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him... With John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He probably looked like one of those bad Dancing with the Stars performers, you know, like the professional athlete that can't really dance. He's going... Anyway, and no Dancing with the Stars fans either. Nice. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So... The reason uh, for choosing this 
this story and, and going over this, and, and what I love most about it is this man who is lame and crippled out of joint from birth is really a picture of us. You see, spiritually, all of us were lame at birth. We were disconnected, disjointed from the time in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, when the fall of man really took place. Up to this point, God was walking alongside Adam and Eve. Their glory was outside their body, just like, G- just like God's glory was there, and they were walking in beautiful communication, linked together with each other. But then sin entered the world, causing that link to be broken. They were crippled at that point in time. And the root word for religion, keep in mind, it actually means to re-link. So all of us, inherently, whether we know it or not, have a desire to be relinked with something. We're not quite sure what. Prior to accepting Jesus, we, we try to fill it with all sorts of things, right? We, we try it, you know, on the bad side of things. Maybe we substitute drugs or alcohol in there to try to fix that thing that's just not right in us. Maybe on a more acceptable side of things, we substitute relationships or money or career or children. We try to wedge these things into this spot because we have a desire to fix the thing that's broken. But the thing is that the only thing that can fix that is what he says in verse 6, the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can fix the link that has been disconnected. And even folks that don't uh, maybe have a church background and don't understand what this missing link is, if you would turn with me back to Romans chapter 1. Let's see what Paul has to say about this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And who's they? I'm they. You're they. We're without excuse to understand the things of God because of creation itself. Because I can sit up here and I can breathe out carbon dioxide, and the plants that are outside need that in order for them to survive in their photosynthesis process, and they put out oxygen that I need to survive as I sit up here and blab away, that all these things work in concert with one another, and it is far too complex to be by chance. So we all understand that as we look at nature and we look at its beauty, but far too often uh, we end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And the only way this man, as he sits here in front of the temple, and he's completely out of joint, both physically and spiritually, can get access into the temple where God is at, is by the name of Jesus Christ. So that's his way to gain access. And the physical, what I wanted to bring out here too, is the physical needs of this man are really what bring about his spiritual rejuvenation. So through the physical, and Peter and John meeting the physical, this is the way that they uh, are, are able to bring the man into the temple where he's able to have a relationship with God. What it says in verse 9, if I can get back there, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. So he is walking first physically, he's been healed, and praising God. So spiritually now, these things have come together. And Peter and John, in this instance, are really giving us a picture of what the church is supposed to be. That through meeting physical needs, 
that we're able to actually meet spiritual needs too. We're able to connect with people on a spiritual level because we're meeting them where they're at physically by helping with things. And if you think about all the things that the church does uh, outside of these walls, not just this church, but all the churches around, universally speaking, uh, it's really kind of mind-blowing. We're reading a book right now called Good Faith. And in that book, the, the way the world views the church is largely irrelevant. That the, that the church is basically archaic and it has no value. But if you think about all the things that the church is involved in, from the Help the Hungry Bake Sale that we just looked at, to the, the Hurricane Harvey Relief, and all these ways that the church is involved, the Catholic Church has got the food pantry, that these are ways that physical needs are being met, that without that, if that's pulled back, that's frightening, right? So Peter and John, in this case, they're meeting a physical need. And turn with me, if you would, back to James chapter 2. If you turn to the right a little bit. In James chapter 2, he really addresses this idea of meeting a physical need of a brother or sister. James chapter 2 and verse 15 we'll pick up. And if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, it can't just be as simple as giving somebody a blessing and then walking on by. But the physical has to be lined up in order for the spiritual needs to be met. And Peter is going to then use this platform, these spiritual needs being met, in order for him to preach the gospel as we continue our story in verse 11. So back to Acts chapter 3 and verse 11. And now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are all witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in presence of you all. So what Peter does is he lays down a whopper of a gospel message. He flat puts it out there, not holding back anything in typical Peter style, but what's most important is that he quickly gives the glory for this miracle back to God. You see, he's in a dangerous spot right here, as we are when we're doing something for the Lord and people try to heap praise on us, and, and it's so easy to accept. But he's quick to divert the attention uh, back to God, even as Jesus does. When you see him performing these miracles throughout the Gospels, you'll see him reverting this, this praise back to the Father. And what these, what these Jews need to understand, what Peter's trying to bring out for them, is that the law can only provide reformation in their life at its very best. So going back to Genesis in the third chapter, after sin has happened, and God comes in and he, and he sacrifices an animal, 
he provides a covering for Adam and Eve, right? He puts the skin over the top of them to cover their sin, to cover their nakedness. But that's all the law could ever do through this sacrificial system. But unlike the new covenant that we believe in, where we can provide, where Jesus can provide true transformation. So from the inside out, this transformation can happen rather than just reformation, which was only ever going to be good enough to cover sin. So what does uh, transformation look like? That's really a question that I had. And, and here are some attributes that somebody much more intelligent than I uh, came up with. So if you like these, uh, I didn't do it, but I will claim them as my own if you want to give me credit for it. No, no, we just learned about that. I can't claim that as my own. I didn't. Never mind. All right, four attributes of transformation, of a transformed life. First of all, consistency. If we look at these guys' lives and the lives of Peter and John, what we see is consistency with them in their prayer life, for example. In Acts 2.46, what it says is, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They were continuing with this process day after day. This wasn't a one-off event that they were showing up for a prayer meeting at 3 o'clock. And consistency in our lives is so important, whether it's uh, being consistent with our, our prayer, being consistent with our daily Bible reading. And, it's, and frankly, if any of you has tried it, I don't know about you, but it's hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, having four kids, somebody is always up at 4.30 in the morning somehow. It's like the force is disturbed somehow in the house, and they just know some creature is out there lurking. You can't get away from them. There's no quiet time. I find in my journal, I write a lot of times that it's a lack of quiet time. Here I am, Lord, in my lack of quiet time. There's no quiet. And yet, we're called, and what works best for us is to stay in that consistently, to not let that get us down and, and give up on that. And that's really what the enemy wants to do. He wants to drive that out of us. Well, listen, you're not good enough. You can't stick with this thing. You need to quit. Well, if you're in that spot, let me encourage you that that is the last thing that we need to be doing, that no matter what it looks like, we need to continue in that consistently. The next thing that these guys had is they had flexibility. You probably, if you've been here at all, you probably heard Mike say that one of the greatest abilities you can have as a Christian is flexibility. And if you can imagine Peter and John, as they are headed into this prayer meeting, they're probably driving a Prius because they're concerned about the environment. They're not driving a big three-quarter ton pickup truck. So here's Peter and John headed to the prayer meeting in their Prius, and they are determined to go and just pray to the Lord. And yet here's this guy here that needs help. He needs something. And what do they do? Do they look at him and say, listen, man, we'd love to help you out, but boy, we are late to a prayer meeting. We've got to get going. Sorry, pal. We'll come check in with you a little bit later on. No, and in fact, they they realize that there is such a thing as a divine interruption. That they were flexible in their day and what they had laid out and planned out. And instead of going in and providing sacrifice, sacrifice of their lips, because the sacrificial system wasn't needed any longer, they instead decided to exercise mercy, right? Which is compassion in action. If you flip back with me to Matthew chapter 9 in verse 13, this is what Jesus actually has to say. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, what Jesus is telling us is, listen, you, you may be headed out to do a good thing. They were headed into a prayer meeting, going to do something good. But instead, an opportunity to show someone mercy 
was right there in front of them, and they took that chance to be flexible in their day, to not get all pinned up about what they had to do and in their schedule. I don't know about you, but I tend to be more of a person that likes comfortability. I've tried to say that at least 15 times, and I can't get it out yet. I prefer to be comfortable. How about that? I like my comfort, right? So my schedule and my day, and knowing exactly what's going to take place throughout the rest of my day, provides me with that comfort. And in my career, it provides me with with uh, understanding how a project's going to get completed. It's a good thing, right, to have a schedule and to know that these things are going to get done so we can get a project delivered on time. Yes, folks, construction projects do get done on time, okay? Any of you thinking that they don't ever, occasionally it happens. Sometimes it's a miracle. But, you know, that, that kind of thing is important in my life. But if I'm so hell-bent at keeping a schedule that I miss a chance to show someone mercy that I've missed the point altogether. And Peter and John have showed that to us, that flexibility is an important attribute for transformation. The next thing they had is they had sensitivity. Sensitivity in particular to the needs of others. Look with me in verse 4, what Peter says, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Boy, this is something that gets lost more and more on our culture right now. Looking someone in the eye. Look at us. And he looked that man in the eye, and he could see that there was a need there. And, and far too often, I know for me, I'm, I'm more determined to keep my head down because if I look around too much, I might see some needs. But if I keep my head down, I can plausible deniability, right? I didn't see that. I didn't know they had a need there. No idea. But that's not what these guys did. They scanned it. They looked around. They see a need, and they're determined to meet it. And, and something that, that really has gripped me is, you know, are we too preoccupied with our technology, you know? Do we spend our time looking down? I'm sorry. Hang on, folks. I got, I got. Oh, do we spend too much time doing that? Or we're trying to make a point. Or we're having a conversation. We're engaged. Nothing, nothing's a conversation killer any more than looking down at your phone. And I'm probably as guilty as anybody. And I have a confession to make. I am a recovering parrot head. That's right. For a lot of my life, I have been a fan of Jimmy Buffett's music. So as a parrot head, while I'm trying to work through that, and I'm, I'm working through all that, uh, most of it's not that redeeming. But here is the lyrics of a song that I do like and I think are applicable, where he says, everybody's on the phone, so connected but all alone. From the pizza boy to socialites, we all salute the satellite. Like, we're so connected, and yet we are completely alone, right? So I read an article a couple months ago that said that loneliness in this country is a bigger health risk than obesity. Do you realize that? That, that we've got Instagram and Snapchat and Snapagram and Twitter and whatever you've got out there, that, and yet we're spending all our time staring at a screen. We're not looking anybody in the eye. And that, that's convicting to me as I think about how can I be sensitive to the needs of others if I don't pick my head up long enough to look around and see what's going on in the lives of other people. So the last thing these guys had is they had authority. And not an authority that they had in and of themselves, but instead an authority that they had because of the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And this authority wasn't just an authority that they could go out and... and 
you know, use on people, but instead it was used in combination with His timing, capital H. That authority has to be used with timing involved. And timing is crucial, it's critical. So a couple weeks ago I came home for lunch, just as an example of timing. And I have twin five-year-old boys. And one of them was completely stripped down naked in the shower as his mom was hosing him off. So wondering what in the world was going on, uh, I asked a few questions and found out that his brother had decided to give him a soap noogie. I didn't know what a soap noogie was, but apparently that's where you take your hand and you get a handful of soap, hand soap, and you put it on top of your brother's head and you give him a noogie like this. He just rubbed that right into his brother's hair. Now I had to explain to him, listen buddy, a soap noogie used in the right context and in the right timing, let's say bath time, for example, could actually be construed as you being very helpful. You're washing your brother's hair. Oh, how sweet. But doing it 30 minutes before your mom has to get out the door for an appointment, not a great idea, not good timing. That usually ends up with you being in big-time trouble. You see, timing is really important, not just in the case of the soap noogie, but also in the case of our lives and, and with the authority of Jesus. So let me ask you this question. How many times do you think Jesus, remembering back a few slides ago, knowing that this is the gate that he used to access the temple, how many times do you think he passed this guy and did nothing? That's something to think about, right? That this man was laid daily at this gate. Not every now and again, daily. So there was not a chance that he was not laying there by the eastern gate when Jesus passed by. Did he lack authority? Not by the way I read. Jesus himself says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. I can call down 10,000s of angels if I want to, is what he tells Peter when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had all the authority. Did he maybe not see the guy? Maybe he just didn't pay attention. He wasn't looking around. He didn't know about these four attributes we were going to lay out there. No, he knew that it was a case of timing. So what makes the timing right in this individual case for this guy, for this lame man? If you look with me at verse 5, so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something. You see, he looked at Peter and John with expectation, right? He was looking. He expected to receive something. Now, he didn't know what exactly he was going to receive, but he had an expectation. So how often in our lives do we have expectation when we come to the Father? And secondly, in combination with expectation, he had faith with a lowercase f. Look with me in verse 16 in the second sentence. He says, yes, the faith which comes from him, Jesus, has given him, lowercase h, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. You see, this guy had lowercase faith, and because of his belief and his expectation, Jesus grew it to uppercase faith, the faith that he provides that takes a place of the faith that we don't have enough of, right? What I also want to bring out when we talk about timing, though, too, and probably just as important as anything else, flip, look back with me to the next chapter in chapter 4, verse 4. And however, many of those who heard the word, who heard Peter's preaching, believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So because of this timing that we're talking about. Because Jesus passed this man by and did not heal them, did not heal the lame man, 
and the timing lined up for Peter and John to, in fact, do the healing. It led way so Peter could preach a gospel message, which led to the salvation of 5,000 people, right? Well, that's some timing, folks. That's some pretty crucial timing. And nobody knew it better than Jesus. If you turn back with me, one last spot to Isaiah chapter 55. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. And this is the Lord speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, he had all this timing, all in complete understanding. Well, we get so pinned up in our life and wanting to understand, Lord, why? Why this? Why that? Why, why, why does this have to come now? I don't understand why now does this have to take place, but what we lack is perspective. It's easy to see the perspective in this story, but it's a whole lot harder to see the perspective if you're the man laying there for your entire life. But then you see the end result. Thousands of lives saved. Thousands of people coming to know Jesus. And then it, begun, it begins to come into a clearer picture for us. So lastly, as we wrap up, in conclusion, a few questions. First of all, are you linked or are you looking to relink? Are you in that spot here this morning where you know something is missing? It's not quite right. I've tried this, I've tried that. And probably something that goes along with that is this next question. Do you have reformation or transformation in your life? Are you in a spot where you've covered things? You've tried to protect it and guard it and, and, and just not seeing real change. It's not falling off like I thought it was going to. Well, let me encourage you. If you're in that spot where you have that desire, in the words of Bon Jovi, you're halfway there, Right? Living on a prayer. No, nobody, no Bon Jovi fans either. No Dancing with the Stars. No more Bon Jovi. I took a Bob Seger song title and made it a bit. Nobody? Man, all right. So if you're in that spot, let me encourage you. You're in the right spot to make a change, to make a change today, to see real transformation in your life. And the next question, are you frustrated by the people in your life, in particular the timing of situations? not understanding why they're not getting it. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why they don't see this. I, I wish so much, Lord, that I could just speak the right way. If I could just say the right words, if I could just put this thing in combination, I could unlock that door. I know that I could. Lord, give me those words to say exactly the right thing. And we're so concerned about what it is we can say into the lives of others that would help them, that would help them in this relinking process. Well, I believe that the greatest evangelism that you can provide is the testimony of your own transformation. That far too often we get worried about what words can I say and not realizing that people are watching how you live, right? So this man had faith in Jesus not because of anything that Peter and John said, he had faith because of what he saw in them as he watched them pass by. He didn't even hear the message. He'd already received Jesus before he heard, before Peter preached, which means he believed what he saw in them as they passed 
day after day, consistently walking by, having flexibility, being willing to stop on their path and get off schedule and off track to spend time with him, that they had the sensitivity to look him in the eye and even touch him, put a hand out, that they, they worked with an authority, not their authority, but the authority of someone else, of, of a higher power. And all that lined up together for this perfect timing, for this man and for thousands of others. And it can for us today too. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to be here uh, this morning in front of this group. I praise you, Father, for each life that's here. Lord, and, and if there is anyone that is, is struggling, hurting, trying to understand your ways that are so much higher, Father, I just pray that you give them that, uh, just that glorious comfort to know that you are in charge and that your timing is always perfect, that you are never late, you are always right on time to deliver. Father, for those that are on our minds and our hearts that we're trying to understand the timing and why things don't come together the way we want them to, Father, give us the peace to know that you are at work in those situations. And allow your spirit to come upon them, to convict, to draw them in so that you can reside within them and then also upon them. So thank you, Father, for all the ways you work. In Jesus' name, amen. That was awesome. So thanks again, everybody, for coming out. Let me encourage you, uh, if you'd like to be here Wednesday at 6.30. If not, we'll see you next week. And as you guys uh, make your way uh, out of here, let me just encourage you, anybody that is looking for that relinking that we were talking about, uh, I'll hang around, Jared will hang around, Lance will we'll be up here. Happy to pray with you, happy to talk through that. And for uh, the rest of us, uh, may your transformation shine out there for the world this week. So God bless.